You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. I find it a little bit strange, just a little strange to welcome you to the first Sunday of the Advent season. The reason is, is because Advent is actually the place that we kind of already live. Think about this. Our whole lives are played out between the historic birth of our King, Jesus, and our anticipating, our expecting, our longing for his great return. That season in between is called Advent. Advent is this old word that basically means the arrival of someone important. And we live our everyday life waiting for the arrival of someone very, very important. Our Advent is our whole life. So to welcome you to the first Sunday of Advent is like, yeah, what's new, Sean? We've been, we've been living here, waiting for the return of the Lord for so long. And here we are again observing this time. In this life, we don't get to see God face to face, though we so long for that. Do you ever long just to see God face to face? So come quickly, Lord. I just need your help. I need to see you. I need to know deep in my bones beyond all reasonable doubt that you know me, that you're present, that you see me. I I need to see you, Lord. We long to see God face to face. Advent is kind of built into our desires and our deepest longing, that hope that he's coming. And though we wish we could see God face to face, we don't. So we wait. We wait. In this life, injustice and violence roam the earth as if with free license to do whatever the heck it wants to do, trampling over people, trampling over the weak, trampling over the people of all people who should be cared for. It seems like violence and oppression and capitalism in in the worst possible kind of way of like greed and ambition just tramples the weak. And we we long for the Lord even in that say, God, what, what is happening? Don't you care for these people? We long for them, and we wait. Advent is that time of not completeness, but incompleteness, of longing, not total gratification, not fulfillment, but that hope, expecting that that fulfillment, that promise will be made good at some point. We long for wholeness and relief, but Advent isn't that time where wholeness and relief have totally come. It's just beyond our fingertips, and the world needs it so badly. Our world deals with this by saying, like, tis the season to max out credit cards, to indulge ourselves, to look happy, to medicate ourselves with, like, all the food and the alcohol and the fun and, like, the lights as we could possibly think of, right? But for the church, Advent is the time when we get honest about our deepest wounds. Talk about, like, a party killer. We're in a different place altogether. Advent isn't that feast yet. It will come, and believe me, when it comes, all the celebrations the world has to offer will pale in comparison to the celebration that is to come. But that time is not yet. So we wait for it. And in that time, we get really honest about our own lives. The things that we've been saying, it's all good, it's all good. It is not all good. It is not as okay as we think it is or how much we'd like to think it is. Our pains, our brokenness, 
all of that begins to come to the surface in Advent. And you know what we say in Advent? Let it come. Don't push it down. Let's deal with this. And you know why we can deal with this? With the courage and with an audacity that the world knows nothing of? Because the time of our salvation is near. So we can deal with the stuff that we have. Because salvation is at hand. It's coming. The world doesn't know Advent because it doesn't know the salvation that is to come. We do. And we can lead our broken world as broken people also to deal with those wounds. Saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Do you all see the hope that we have in Advent? St. Paul, he writes in our text from Romans 13 along these same lines. I want you to listen carefully to this. He says in verse 11, besides this, you know what time it is. How it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. From sal for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery or licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This time that Paul is so convinced that is here, according to him, is that liminal moment between night being far gone and the sun breaking in. We all know this moment when we wake up before the alarm and it's still dark out. We're like, no, I could have. There was like a whole nother 30 minutes that would have changed like my entire day that's now gone. And so we reach for the pillow and we try and like bear, bury ourselves in our blankets again and fall back asleep. But the morning is coming whether we like it or not. This is the moment Paul's describing. The night is far gone. The sun is breaking in. Some are tempted to just reach back to that darkness in their own life, the, the sleep that they had before, those comforts that they were so familiar with, that blankie, whatever that blankie is for you, we all have those blankies, right? Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Paul's saying, the night is far gone. Stop reaching for that blankie. It will never suffice. It will never satisfy. That's not the direction that time is actually going now. And that's not the direction where you will find your rescue that you so desperately need. It's not the blankie. Night is far gone. The darkness is departing more and more in this Advent moment. The sun is beginning to break in. But it's just beginning. And therefore, Paul says in verse 12, let us then, because we're in this moment where the darkness is leaving and the light is breaking in, because we're in this moment, verse 12, Paul says, let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This is what we prayed in the collect this morning. Did you hear that? This collect, the very, the collect is Anglican's fancy way of saying that first prayer that, that gathers up the prayers and the theme of the day. That first prayer we prayed, it prayed that we would cast off the works of darkness in our lives. Not later, but the collect says, now in the time of this mortal life. Now. Well, I'll get to it Monday. Or I'll like deal with it once I get through this hard part in my life. No. No. Now is the time to cast off the works of darkness in our life. 
Paul gives examples just in case we think, yeah, we know Paul's talking about like works of darkness that are super easy to manage, but you know, nothing that I really struggle with. Paul, he doesn't let us off the hook that easy. He says, he gives us some explicit examples, drunkenness, debauchery, licentiousness, which is not a word we don't walk around going, I'm being so licentious. That is kind of like taking license with sex, quarreling. Oh man, we're good at that, aren't we? Jealousy. Paul gets closer and closer to the heart of our problems, starting to name the wounds that he finds not only in himself, but in us and in the world. And if none of those hit the target, the self-righteousness in us that makes us first think of, oh, I know someone who struggles with that. You know who really needs to hear this sermon who's not here? I should send this podcast to them. Or, man, I really hope this person next to me is here in this. Whatever self-righteousness in us that makes us think of that first, when Paul names these sins, there you go. There's your sin. Self-righteousness. You two are in this list. So the question isn't who should hear this, but the question for us is, how have I sinned, Lord? Show me the ways that I have sinned. How have I fooled myself into thinking that I'm okay when I'm not okay? Lord, show me my own wounds. That is the Advent prayer for us. Not just those sins that maybe are on the outside, which those are sins. We should pay attention to those. But also those sins that really all of them come from the inside. The ones that are harder to spot. The ones that are way scarier to deal with. The ones we would just rather forget about and move on with our lives. The ones that are most costly to change. Well, if I repented of this, like, man, this would have serious consequence for my life. Those ones. What about those? When are we going to deal with those, friends? When's a good time to deal with that stuff, if not now? And y'all, I know this really well because I'm an expert at this. This is my zone right here. I can dodge bullets like you wouldn't believe. And so when Paul tightens the screws, I have to like hold myself steady because I, I can dodge so easy, but he's pointing them at me. And if we can't take the same courage and say, let me have it, Lord, show me what it is, then we're always going to dodge the work of the Spirit. And we're never going to be able to receive the cure that we so desperately need if we first can't take the fact that we're being called out our sin is being named by scripture. Let it hit you squarely. It's okay. You know why we can say that's okay? Because we have someone who can cure us. Keep that in view. So deal with your sin, knowing we have someone who can heal us. Don't say to yourself, well, if, if I forget about this stuff, maybe God will forget too. You know, here we are on Sunday, but maybe Monday he'll like move on. He's got bigger things going on in the world, right? Maybe if... Maybe if I just let this go and move on, then maybe God will let this go too. Did God leave Israel, leave Israel alone with its sin? No. Does God leave unjust and evil nations without judgment in the world? No. Will all of that be held account before him? Yes. Then what makes us think that we are any different or more special? All the evil we do, all the sin that we commit, everything outside and inside will be held account before God. Even now, 
Does God overlook the harm that we commit on other people close to us? The harm we commit to ourselves, thinking it doesn't really hurt anyone else, it's just me. Do we think that God is stupid enough that we can buy him off with lip service on Sunday at church and then go out the rest of our week and he doesn't see any of this? Do we really think he's that dumb? Do we think that somehow we can distract God from dealing with our own selfishness and our own real greed that drives so much of our lives? Do we think that our self-loathing and our feeling really bad about things will somehow get us off the hook and receive God's mercy all the more? Or maybe, and I know this is, a fam- this is like a nice one that we like to wear sometimes, maybe his grace, the grace of God is like a credit card that we can just max out on, on all of the sin and all the things that we just want excuses to be able to do without feeling bad for. We can just max out God's grace credit card and just keep charging it. But friends, we know that's not true, right? If God paid the ultimate price to defeat son by giving us his own son, what makes you think he will not deal with the sin that we have and that the world has? Do you think there's anything that would stop God from dealing with sin, having given everything to cure it in the first place in Jesus? Do you think that we can put up some sort of smoke screen and dodge him? No, we can't. He's coming, and he will deal with us. He will reckon with the world, and he will set things right through his son Jesus by the power of his spirit. That's what's happening. Every Facebook post and newspaper headline could read that, and it would be the most true thing being said from now until eternity. God is coming. Watch out. He's not manipulated or fooled. His grace and his generosity doesn't blind him. It doesn't make him unwise or somehow unknowing. His grace is given to us knowing exactly what it is that is wounded and and, and rotten within us. His grace is what he gives, seeing exactly that sin in us. Not us hiding it, but bearing it all before him. He sees that worst version of ourselves and says, my grace is sufficient for that too, and even more. His grace is given to cure, to wash sin, not to cover it up. His grace is given to rid us of evil, to cast off the works of darkness, to empower us to do that. When we did not have the strength to do that on our own, God's grace gives us that power, that strength, to push it off once and for all, not to accommodate for sin. God's grace is the power we need to finally cast our sin upon the cross and his son Jesus. Grace is the power that we have given by God to finally put sin to death on the cross with our Lord. But to cast off that sin, we have to first see it. We have to first name it. We have to first reckon with it. And Advent is exactly that time. And I know, guys, this is not like the most yippy-skippy kind of way to start the holiday season. I get it. But I promise you, I promise you, if you want to truly experience the joy of your salvation again, if you want to really enter into what is Christ's mass season, the liturgy of the birth of Christ, if you really want to unpack the presence of all presence, 
It begins not with just having fun and saying it's all good, but it begins here in this Advent moment where we deal with this sin that our God is fully capable of dealing with. This is where it begins. Where we remember what it is to actually obey God when he speaks to us. He means it. He wants us to obey. This is that season when we can call our sin what it is, fearlessly, to name it. This is that season when when we have given up that fight against sin where we can actually put up a fight against the darkness that keeps encroaching on our soul, that makes us think that all is lost and that I'm useless, I'm worthless, there's no hope in me. There may not be in that moment, you may not feel it, but there is hope coming. There is hope in the one who covers you with his blood that forgives all your sins. There is hope in the Holy Spirit that is breathed into you. There is hope in the grace of God that lays upon you, that adorns your life. There is hope that is coming, and I'm sure of it. This is the hope we wait for in Advent. Darkness is far gone. That place of despair, it is actually further from you now than the return of the Lord. The morning is at hand. The light's just beginning to break in. So put away the darkness. Take on the armor of light. And grab hold of this sure and blessed hope that you have in Jesus. Despite how you feel, you have this hope. Despite how close the darkness may feel to you. Despite how lame of a Christian you maybe feel like you have been lately. Despite all of that. The morning still comes and Christ still names you because he loves you and his grace still comes for you. He has already transferred you into his kingdom of light. You are a citizen of that kingdom. You are a child of God. That's settled. Take hold of that identity in life. Let the darkness go because it is far gone and been overcome. And it is all because of Jesus Christ, the one who's coming. The one who is here and still comes, that great mystery. It is because of him that we can acknowledge and cast off all of our sin. It is because of him that we can open our hands and receive the forgiveness of sin. It is because of him that we have strength to actually take up our cross and to follow him, to be obedient. And it is because of him that we can put our lives back under his most gracious care. In his kingdom. This kingdom scripture says. And y'all this isn't like religious fantasy. Okay. Can we step into the mode of like real life here for a second. This kingdom of God. Will come like a city on a hill. Like a new Jerusalem. Heaven and earth. That has been divorced for so long. Is now going to be wed once again. And reunited. And we will see this kingdom. And every single one of you and every person that you know will immigrate to this kingdom. We will all stream to this place, whether really a physical place or kind of everywhere a place. Everyone will stream and immigrate because we're all foreigners. We will immigrate into this kingdom, this place of the presence of God where God says, I will dwell with you. You will be my people and I will be your God. Where all things will be made right. This is going to happen. And when we gather around his kingly throne of judgment, it's not all high fives. God is still not fooled. He's not naive. 
He won't make provision for an ounce of sin in the world. The prophet warns us, rather, in chapter 2, from our, our reading from Isaiah, verse 4, he says, He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. Come and take it. He will. Trust me. And what he does with all of that, those swords or whatever weapons we have in our hands, he takes those and their spears, he turns them into pruning hooks, into the very things that will take up his harvest. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The ways, the habits, the tools of sin that we have made for ourselves will be beaten like metal into a new shape. We may not have swords at that time, sure, because those are a little outdated, but whatever. Whatever weapons we use for self-gratification, for coercion or manipulation of others, whatever weapons we use for destruction in the world, it could be addictions, it could be greed, it could be lust, it could be selfishness. All of it, whatever it is, will bend to the will of God's kingdom and his purposes. Nothing will stand against it. And it will be reshaped, molded to serve his good purposes in his kingdom. Do you see how a future like this, if, if we really take hold of this and go, yeah, this is coming, how that can actually cause you to realign your life with what's coming? Wake up, y'all. That's what Advent's about. Here is reality. Let's deal with this. Let's align our lives with where history is actually heading. This is what Paul urges us to do based on all of this. In chapter 13, verse 13, he says, let us then live honorably as in the day. As opposed to the night. He goes on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Friends, how we live now actually matters. It's not about us just making a prayer and then being swooped up and taken off into some like disembodied heavenly space where God forgets everything else. We announce his coming again. We announce the resurrection of the dead. And the life of the world to come. It is an embodied life in his kingdom. And he's coming to bring that about. And how we live matters. The thing we do now has eternal value. You could put yourself to work that doesn't have eternal value that will burn away. Or you could put yourself to work that will last forever in God's kingdom. So every angry comment, every bitter thought, every greedy act, every harsh dealing... Every snub and violence, the way we neglect what we should do, all of that, we can leave aside because it will burn away. It will not last. And we need to not make a single accommodation for it. No excuses for any of that. Why? Because night is far gone and dawn is quickly approaching with Christ. It's because we have this coming light of Christ that's breaking into the world that now every generous act, every loving gesture that we make toward other people, Every hopeful thought on Christ, every forgiving word, every temptation that we resist now is our receiving his armor of light. It kind of looks like these ponchos that we wear, honestly, these nice little beautiful things. This is what it looks like when you take on the armor of light. We're all adorned in the beauty of Christ, not in the rags that we brought to him in the first place. So this is the question I want to ask us as we start into Advent, as we enter into this journey together, this Advent, how, 
how will we live? How will we actually live now we know where history is headed? How will we now live knowing who's coming and what he's going to be doing? How will we now live knowing that we can't fool God anymore about our hidden sin? Friends, may we open up our bittered hearts, our fearful souls, our greedy hands. May the Lord soften all of those things. May he unbind us from the life that we've been living. And may he heal our wounded lives. All of this Jesus comes to do even now at his table. So don't come here thinking that this is just some sort of benign ritual. Watch out. God is coming to heal and to bind up and to gather up his children and to bring us into his kingdom. That is what we're stepping in the aisle to do this morning. And he couldn't come more quickly, right? So we as a church say, yes, Lord, come quickly. Even now, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.